0: Good morning, everyone. We are continuing our series on the parables of Jesus this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about a parable out of Matthew 25, parable of the ten virgins. There it is. And this parable has, is different than last week's parable, but there are uh, actually a number of similarities between the two parables. And uh, one of those similarities is that we're going to be talking about a wedding again. Another one of the similarities is that Jesus is going to refer to himself as the bridegroom again. And whenever Jesus is the bridegroom, the bride is always the church. But this is where things get a little bit different because somehow in this, the kingdom of God is compared to ten virgins, and then we have to figure out where we fall into all this. What does this have to do with us? But before we get into any of that, let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for all that you teach us. God, we ask that you would guide us today as we look at this parable, help us to learn what you want us to learn, and help us to incorporate that into our lives, Lord, so that we can be better servants of yours. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So I am going to read through the passage this morning, and as I'm going through it, I am going to point out a few things as we go. So here we are, Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Okay, so we see that we're going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven. So that lets us know that this isn't just some normal story. This is a story with spiritual ramifications. So we'll try to keep our eyes open for that. And we also immediately see that the bridegroom is in here. Now, again, the bridegroom is Jesus. Now, the kingdom of heaven, heaven and Jesus, they go together pretty well. So at some point, these are going to be combined. We'll have to keep our eyes open for that and and see how that is combined. But we also see that there are ten virgins. Now, the reason that they are referred to as being virgins is to show what stage of life that they're in, what age, you know, that they're unmarried. And the reason that is relevant is because it shows us that these ten women would have known the bride. They probably would have grown up near the bride and they would be familiar with her. Who knows what kind of relationship they would have, but they would actually be familiar with the bride. So the passage continues. Uh, Five of the virgins were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So we have here a distinction. It seems like these five women, or these ten women are all the same except for five of them choose to bring oil and that makes them wise. Five of them choose not to bring oil and that makes them foolish. Why? We don't know yet, but We'll have that revealed later on. So we're on to verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Now at this point, it's important that you understand kind of how a, uh, a traditional wedding would happen in a Jewish household. Now the way that this would go is that the bride and the groom and the immediate family and maybe a couple of friends, they would all go to the bride's house and that's where the actual ceremony would take place. That's where all the different things would happen with them getting married and all the different rituals involved with that. And then afterwards, they would go to the groom's house for the wedding feast. And that's where the ten virgins are. They're at the groom's house. Along with uh, various other guests. And quite frankly, it would probably be most of the town because they were small little villages uh, in many cases. So here we are, we're coming in and we see that the bridegroom is delayed. So that means he's at... The bride's house. And for whatever reason it is, it, it seems like it's a long time because they're able to fall asleep. But we know that there's spiritual overtones here, right? This isn't just some regular groom. This is Jesus that we're talking about here. And we're talking about going to Jesus's home. And what would Jesus's home be? Well, there's the kingdom of heaven. That's heaven. Jesus's home is heaven. So at some point, we know in this story, Jesus is going to be going into heaven. So let's watch for that and see, see what happens. And it continues in verse 6. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. So now we understand. Now we know why some of them are wise and some of them are foolish. The wise ones were the ones who were prepared. They anticipated that the bridegroom might be late, and they brought extra oil. The foolish were the ones who were not as prepared, and they did not bring oil for themselves. And it continues in verse 10. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Suddenly, this story got really serious. This is the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Where is he going? He's going into heaven. Who's going with him? Of course, the bride, which is the church, and all those who are ready. So these are all the people who are joining in with the church. And all these people are going into heaven. And what happens to the door of heaven? It's shut. This has a a feeling of permanence to it. And, And now our story takes a tragic turn. In verse 11, afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, and and we'll be coming back to this later. It's, It's interesting. He says, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you. And then he finishes the story with a warning. In verse 13, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So he's talking about his second coming. He's talking about when he comes again. We're talking about the things of Revelation and Daniel and other passages, which I am not going to go all into this morning. But that's what he's getting into. So let's break down what we have learned here. First of all, as we mentioned many times, the bridegroom, or as we would refer to him as the groom, is Jesus. The bride, of course, is the church, as it always is whenever Jesus is the bridegroom. And the wedding feast is in Jesus' home. So that's the kingdom of heaven. And in order to get in, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Now we have the ten virgins. Five of them were wise and had oil, and they were saved. Five were foolish, and they ran out of oil, and they were lost. So let's look at these five who were lost. They were not, clearly, they were not ready for when Jesus came. That's Fairly obvious, pretty straightforward. But why is it that they were not ready? They were not ready because they did not make it enough of a priority. They they weren't engaged enough in what it is that they were going to be doing, and they didn't do a thorough enough job. Now, they saw that these other virgins brought enough oil, and they could have thought, you know what? That's a great idea. That's a great idea because sometimes he's late, right? Sometimes the wedding party is late. Let's bring some more oil. But they thought, you know what? i got too much going on today. I don't want to be bothered with that. I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to show up. So let's remove all the symbolism and get right down to the core message here. What, what is Jesus trying to tell us here? Well, it all, A lot of it comes right down to verse 12. Jesus tells them, I do not know you. And what happens? They are not let in. He does not say, I knew you and now I don't know you. He never knew them. There was no relationship. They never made the effort to get to know Jesus. And they tried to just show up instead. And it didn't work. And this is a statement about Christianity. It is a relationship. It is a relationship. It's not just about holding a belief or doing this particular thing or thinking in a particular way. Now, these are certainly aspects of it, right? These are certainly elements of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And and these things combined together certainly put together a pretty big picture. But it's more than this. It It is actually becoming something. We are becoming something new because we are interacting with a holy God, our creator God. And by bringing him into our lives, we are changed. Through relationship with Jesus, he changes us. So that's the passage. And now, we have to consider, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to learn from this? What are we going to learn about this for our own priorities? And figuring out what matters to us. Now, the reality is, is that life can be quite a bully. It demands attention. If you don't set your priorities beforehand, it will set your priorities for you. It'll say, give me attention over here. I got this fire going on. I got this relationship going on. I got this person yelling at you. You have to deal with this. And it's all reactionary, right? You're reacting to this. You're reacting to that. If you don't set your priorities beforehand. But what is it that are going to be your priorities? What is it that is going to matter to you? Well, an old pastor of mine named John Ortberg tells a great story about when he was a child. And he was interacting with his grandmother, and his grandmother taught him a great lesson about what matters. And I'd like to show you a video of that this morning.
1: My grandmother is a wonderful person. She taught me how to play the game Monopoly. She understood that the name of the game is to acquire. She would accumulate everything she could and eventually she became the master of the board. And eventually every time she would take my last dollar and I would quit in utter defeat. And then she would always say the same thing to me. She would look at me and she would say, one day you'll learn to play the game. One summer I played Monopoly with a neighbor almost every day, all day long. We would play Monopoly for hours, and that summer I learned to play the game. I came to understand the only way to win was to make a total commitment to acquisition. I came to understand that money and possessions, that's the way that you achieve score. And by the end of that summer, I was more ruthless than my grandmother. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to, to win that game. And I sat down with her to play that fall. I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially, psychologically, and watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. And then she had one more thing to teach me. Then she said, now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels all the railroads and utility companies, all that property and all that wonderful money, now it all goes back in the box. I didn't want it to go back in the box. No, she said, none of it was really yours. You got all heated up about it for a while, but it was around a long time before you sat down at that board. And it will be here after you have gone, players come and players go, but it all goes back in the box. Houses and cars, titles and clothes, bank accounts, work portfolios, even your body. And the fact is, everything I clutch and consume and hoard is going to go back in the box. And I'm going to lose it all. There's not much of an ROI to that. You have to ask yourself, when you get that ultimate promotion, make the ultimate purchase, when you buy the ultimate home, when you have stored up financial security, when you have climbed the ladder of success to the highest rung you could possibly climb it, and the thrill wears off, and it will wear off, then what? How far do you have to walk down that road before you see where it leads? Surely you understand it'll never be enough. So you have to ask yourself the question, what matters?
0: After everything, what matters? After everything you do, you say, After every way that you choose to live and every relationship you have and deal you made, after every, after your legacy that you have built, after every secret you have hid and opportunity you have lost and action you regret. After everything you have ever built is dust and every person you knew is gone. You will have one thing left. And that's your soul. That's your soul. And you only get one. Jesus tells us about the value of our soul. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? It is so valuable, it is so crucial to who it is that we are, it is so fragile. And it is eternal. And how you treat it will affect you for all eternity. So you better take care of it. You better take care of it. Do you know how to take care of it? Well, there is actually an instruction booklet on how to take care of it, an instruction book. And there's only one out there that's of any worth. And a lot of you were handed one of those this morning. It's the Bible. And God tells us about the Bible. He tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But we need more than the Bible. We need to be in touch with the author so we can get our own personal plan on how to care for our souls. And to do that, we do it through prayer. And again, God tells us, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, and I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. That is intimate. Into him. If you want to maintain that, the only way that happens is to pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5.17. You have to maintain it. Now, I'm not talking about you have to be in a, a 12-hour prayer, but I'm talking about you have to be in contact with your creator. You have to tell him what your concerns are. You have to thank him for things that he's doing in your life. You have to interact with him and tell him, you know what, I'm really concerned about what's going on. Thanks for this day. Thanks for my family. Help me to get along with this person. Help me to understand what's going on with this job. So we need to read the Bible and we need to pray. And there's one other thing that we need. And that's community. But it's a specific type of community. And we hear about this in Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a very specific type of community. And we need to engage in it in a regular regular basis. So we need to read the Bible, we need to be in prayer, in constant prayer, and we need to be in a specific kind of community with each other. And you know what? This is all going to take a lot of time. And you know what? I know some of you are saying, "But Greg, <laughs> you don't know what kind of schedule I've got. I don't have any more time. My day is so full. You 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 you've gone too far now. You've just gone too far. It's just not going to work." I don't have the time. For several years, I worked 80 to 110 hours a week. That was my life, beginning and end. There was nothing else than my work. And I have learned a couple of things about time management since then. And there really is a a way to make this work. How to prioritize soul care in your life. And I'd like to use this as an illustration here. So, what we have here is this is a vase, and this represents one day. And everything that you're gonna do in that one day has to fit in here, or doesn't happen in that day. And you know, there's this thing called life, and it's not gonna be ignored. It demands attention, and it demands time, and there's really no way around it. So, you have to earn a living, you have to pay bills and take care of the place that you're living and relationships and emergencies. And you know what? You need some downtime too, some me time, right? And that all fills up your day. And there are, now I'm trying to add some more. Well, you're already here, so you've got some community. So you're working towards that. And that takes some time. And then I'm talking about this whole Continuously praying thing, well, that's going to take a lot of time. And you know what? It doesn't quite fit. So we'll just do a little bit of praying. That's all we can get in today. Well, actually, that's about half of what we we're supposed to do, looks like. So that's as much as we can get in today. But you know what? There's one left. Bible reading. No time for that today. Just does not fit. So This is one way to live your day. And this way of living your day is life, is choosing what is your priority. But it doesn't have to be the boss. There's another way that you can live. You can choose your priorities, and you can make them first. You can say, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to have time for community. I'm going to interact with others. I'm going to be encouraging. I'm going to be involved in their lives. I'm going to pray here and there, in little places as I'm driving, as I'm interacting, even when I'm in a conversation. God, please help me to be more sympathetic towards this person as they express their anger towards me. Things like that. And I'm going to make Bible reading a priority. It's going to happen no matter what. But you know what? Life is not going to be denied. It's coming, and there's no stopping it. And we still have responsibilities, and we have things that we have to live up to. And things that we have to take care of. And you know what? They're gonna come in and they're gonna take over our day. But because we've made a priority, we have set our priorities first, it all fits. It all fits in there. And you know what? This was a really interesting day. There's some challenges, there's some frustrations, there's some surprises. But you know what? We changed as a person today. We encountered our living God. And because of that, we were changed and we were transformed. And you know what? Even though there were some challenges, we're better off for the day because of the priorities that we made. And it's a really interesting thing. So that's one day and we got a little bit of change. But what happens if we add another one of those days? And we make a week out of that. And then we continue on, and we've got months, and then maybe we even have years. Well, that's called transformation. And that results in very healthy soul care. And let me give you an example of that. Now, many of you Um, are aware of the fact that my dad uh, got very, very sick a couple of weeks ago. I got a text, actually, while at the baptism picnic. My mom was very concerned, and she wanted my brother and I to come up and see my dad. He's doing a lot better now, so I just wanted to let you know that, and thanks a lot for your prayers. I really appreciate that. But at the time, he he was getting very, very sick, and so my brother and I, we drove up there, and he was not able to get himself out of his chair. He's a very active person, so this was really surprising, and he'd lost the use of one of his arms. And when we talked with him, he was very slow to respond. I asked him specifically, do you know what's going on? He knew what was going on. He was able to articulate that. But it was very difficult for him. So he was being reduced. He was being reduced to his core essentials. We found out later that it was two medications that he was taking were creating a poison within him. And it was literally killing him in front of us. We, we took him to the hospital, and it was, it was, I can say it's interesting now, but it, you know, it, was, it was horrifying at the time. We saw a, a white film starting to form over his eyes. I mean, we were literally watching my father die. I knew this was going to be hard. We were watching my father die in front of me. And others could see this as well. So there was a nurse. She went up to my dad and she said, Can I get somebody to come and pray with you? And my dad said, Yes, <laughs> I'll pray with you. <laughs> and she said, No, you don't understand. I can go get somebody and, and bring them in here and then they can pray with you. And, she, and he said, No, you don't understand. I want to pray for you. And he did. He's dying. He's dying, and he's thinking of others. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. When he is reduced to his very essentials, we have a servant of God who wants to serve his God one more time before he joins him. It's a very powerful thing. It's a very good thing. And we need to ask ourselves, where are we? How are we doing? Are we being transformed? How healthy is our soul? And there's a way that we can do this. There's a test that we can do on ourselves, and it's a series of three questions that we can ask ourselves. And and I'd like to go over that very quickly. The first question is, as we discussed before, is what matters? What matters to you? Write this list down. Write out what is it that really matters to you. And the next thing you're going to do is you're going to take a look at what are your priorities. What are you going to be doing today? What are you going to be doing tomorrow and this week and the months to come? Look at your calendar. What have you set up for yourself? And the third thing is very simple. Do they match? Right? Do you see that what matters to you, what are your priorities, big things in life, the things that you want to accomplish, are those things in your priorities on a daily basis? And how you answer this question is the difference between foolishness and wisdom. It's the difference between foolishness and wisdom. It is the difference between death and eternal life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so very much That you love us so much that you gave your only son to die for us so that we could have the relationship that is available to us today. God, we ask that you would help us as we look at all the garbage life has to offer and is trying to bully us into following. God, we ask that you would help us to look at what is truly important, the things that are bigger than ourselves, and Help us to pursue those things, to bring those things into our lives and claim them and have that be the pursuit of our life, what our life is dedicated to. God, it is you who brings true life to our lives. Help us to pursue that. Help us to um, desire that and help us to not be fooled into all the garbage that life has to offer. We ask that your will continually be done with Today and always. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.